Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Yep, 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 yep. You already know what time it is, man. It's your girl, POC. Turn your radio up, spread the word, spread the message. You already know how we coming each and every Friday. You got to get up anyway, so why not get up with me, your girl, POC? Starting at 10 a.m., man, you're tapping in with Eco Word. We're talking about environmental justice, bringing forth that new Philadelphia, that greener Philadelphia, that safer Philadelphia, and helping out different communities and zip codes here in the city. And we're going to be bringing forth a lot of different conversations, topics, ideas, experts, you know, people call themselves experts nowadays, influencers, things of that nature to really just hone in on what it means to uh, have an environmental justice uptake in a great way, in a positive way in a city like Philadelphia and how we can actually do it together. That's the biggest point. We want to do it together. So our first guest, we're going to kick it off is with somebody I'm excited to be speaking with, to bring her into this conversation, to bring her on 90, to bring her on WRD 96.1 FM. So yes, man, each and every Friday, start your morning off with me, Eco Word. Good morning, Mozzie. How you feeling? Good morning, Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. I'm feeling pretty good. Had a nice little gym sesh this morning. How are you? <laughs> as, as you should going into the new year. Um, I want you to start off by introducing yourself and letting the people know exactly who they're speaking with. Sure. So good morning, everybody. My name is Mozzie Ingram. I'm a North Philly native, and I'm currently an environmental um, studies major at Brandeis University. So for the last three years, I've been studying environmental justice, doing hands-on work through community engagement, journalism, and policy work. Um yeah, to summarize things, I really am just interested in improving and improving the places where Black people live, work, and play through Love the work that I do. Um, I'm also currently a production intern for another podcast called Living on Earth, which is through NPR. Um, I'm one of the social media ambassadors for the People's Climate Innovation Center. I just graduated from their fellowship, Young Climate Leaders of Color. And I'm also preparing for a semester-long study abroad program in San Marie, Cambodia, where I'll be doing um, research with indigenous communities around things like environmental justice and conservation. So, yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Just a little bit, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Just a little bit <laughs> about what Mozzie got going on. That's one of the reasons, again, why I wanted to make sure we brought her on the show. And I was trying to figure out how we can get her on the show. You know, when it comes down to student voices, you want to make sure you plan them correctly because you want their voices to be heard and not taken advantage of when you are on a setting like this. So, you know, when I just heard about all the work that you've done in 2023, I was like, this has to be the way that I end my show. You know, this has to be the way that we go out with a bang in 2023 with a powerful voice like yours. And I'm always going to hype you up, sis, first and foremost. I'm going to hype you up regardless. But for those who want to tune in and talk to this amazing student who's coming out of Philadelphia, you can always give us a call 215-634-8065, toll free, 1-866-361-0900. And we also are live on Facebook. So if you want to talk to us, drop your comments. We want to definitely hear from you and we will read them out loud. But Mazi, I want to just ask you, you know, you're doing a lot of amazing things. You're still young. You're still a student. How does it feel being in these spaces and knowing that people consider you as a student voice and not just a voice in general? I think being um, a student voice in these spaces, it definitely has its pros and its cons. I think that sometimes, like you mentioned early earlier, like it can be very extractive. 
So people will invite students into a space and say, hey, like, we really are excited to hear what you have to say. We want your voice. We want your input. input." Mm-hmm. But that's just the extent of it, right? Like, they just want us in the room. They just want to be able to check that box that they have, that representation. Um, So coming into any space where, like, change is being made or there's, like, leaders in the room, always have to be very, like, cognizant of what is my role in this and how can I actually make sure that the goals and like things that I want to achieve for my community can actually happen. Um, and it's not just a waste of my time and like, you know, the people that I want to support's time as well. Mm-hmm. But that. the pro to it is, is that because I'm so young and I'm in school and I'm constantly learning new things and growing and expanding my own knowledge, every time I come into a space, I'm adding something new. I feel, I feel like I'm always pulling from, oh, I just had this conversation in class or I just had this conversation with a mentor and I'm able to bring that into, you know, the spaces and places that I enter. No doubt. And, you know, you decided to go to college and study something completely different, right? Uh, Especially coming out of Philadelphia, you don't think about environmental justice too much because you want to get out of the city, right? That's what people are thinking. I want to get out of here. So why would I be thinking about how I can help, you know, the environment, the economy and all that good stuff? So the fact that you are taking your education um, to another level as far as studying the environment, what made you go into that, that path? What made you start that journey? And you went to Boston, you know, that's a big jump going from Philadelphia to Boston. And so how has that uh, journey in this path been so far? Sure. I mean, to give the short of the story, because honestly, I've always been a super outdoorsy person. Like, even though I grew up in North Philly, any little pocket of greenery, green space, trust me, I've tried to explore it. <laughs> and like as far back as middle school, right? Me and my best friend, we used to go into Fairmount Park and just wander around, try to see what plants we could identify and like awesome. you know, little things like that. So the interest was always there. In high school, I had the opportunity to be a part of this program called WINS, Women in Natural Sciences. It's based at the Academy of Natural Science. Fine. And it's specifically for young women of color who are interested in natural science. And it opened up a lot of doors for me, not even just in terms of like being able to have the science background, but just exposure to college and exposure to higher education. They took us on annual college tours. The first college tour I ever got to go on with wins was to the New England area. So they brought me up here to Boston. I got to see what it's like to go to school in Boston, visit some of the big name schools like Brown, Harvard, Yale. And having that exposure so early on and then it also being connected to environmental work was really, really pivotal for me. And, you know, I'm not the only Wins girl who can say that. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's a strong community of us. And like, even those of us who don't decide to go into environmental work directly, we bring those, um, what's the word, tools, morals into the work that we do. So. I'm with it and I love it. And, you know, Mazi, I want to dive into a little bit more conversation about what environmental justice is and a little bit how it goes hand in hand with uh, social justice as well, as well as public health. Right. So when we talk about uh, green jobs and uh, equitable economy, when we discuss green jobs and the initiatives that people are are utilizing to create more green spaces in a city like Philadelphia, how can we make sure it's benefiting us as well? People who are living in these marginalized communities. For sure. So first, I think it's important to acknowledge that the environmental justice movement derived from the larger social justice movement. Um, It really became strong, like it gained strength and prominence 
because the people who were leading the charge were already leaders in other social justice spaces, whether it was housing or um, food equity or the civil rights or, you know, things like that. So because those types of leaders were the ones who kind of made the foundation of the EJ movement, I think that when initiatives are actually like staying true to the environmental justice standards and not just focusing on ecological or conservation goals, and they're taking a holistic approach, that's how we truly ensure Good that, point. yeah, that BIPOC communities are being included. Because when you look at the 17 principles of environmental justice, all of those things boil down to people are at the center. If we're not thinking about how the people who are living in that community are benefiting from these initiatives, then they really don't have much merit. They, you know, it just becomes another environmentalist um, initiative, which is very different from environmental justice. No doubt. And for those who are just tuning in, I want to make sure you understand we're listening to a student coming out of North Philly. She goes by the name Mozzie. She's doing some amazing work, um, not just in the city of Philadelphia and abroad, you know, as she's in school right now. Tell me the name of your your university. I'm sorry if I, I forgot. Brandeis University. Brandeis. So shout out to the work that you're doing at your university for sure, um, because it's really helping you um, in a lot of different ways. And you've been on some some many different stages this past year. So I want to make sure that people understand exactly who they're listening to. Um, so then I want to ask you a question about culture, right? Because as what you just said made sense, because, you know, coming from Philadelphia and and seeing the shift in what it means to grow a community, um, it, new buildings are coming, you know, infrastructure is changing. Uh, um, climate change is really taking over certain different zip codes based on where you are towards the river. You know what I mean? So when it comes down to culture preservation, what's your idea on uh, how we can make sure we're saving these spaces that people identify with in a city like Philadelphia? I think for Philly specifically, like y'all are in a really interesting time right now with the whole mayoral transition on the rise. I agree. Uh, And that opens up a lot of opportunity for community voice to be heard because, you know, obviously people had to vote um, the new mayor in and the people that the mayor appoints to positions of power will become really important. So it really is up to. And we just got a new city council president as well. Yeah, that too. So like people holding these uh, people that they've elected accountable is really, really important in making sure that community input is heard. And I feel like the best way to do that is showing up when you can. So showing up to these council meetings, if you can't do it yourself, but you know that someone else that's interested in your circle can, you know, encouraging them to do that. Because um, if people don't show up, then these decisions will be made regardless. Mm -hmm. Do you think preservation can be made within gentrification and how climate change is moving? You know, Mm -hmm. do you think that preservation can can survive, I guess, like can we preserve the things that are historical to us? Can we preserve um, specific parts of the city uh, that are being affected by gentrification, but at the same time, people want to stay in those communities. They don't see a fault in those, you know, whether it's pollution, whether it's the trash, whether, you know, it's them not necessarily having um, the grocery stores. It can be a food desert. Like they don't see that because they've been there their whole lives. So it it is affecting them, but they don't feel the effect because they're in, in, if that makes sense. For sure. I think that just goes down to like environmental education, you know, 
in Philly, there's a lot of nonprofits and like grassroots organizations that are working on all of those types of issues that you described, but they don't necessarily identify their work as environmental work. So a lot of these grant opportunities or being invited into spaces where environmental concerns are being um, heard and voiced, they're not at those they're they're not in those rooms, right? Because they're not identified as leaders in those spaces. So I think those of us who do have that knowledge and do have the understanding that these issues are environmental issues, you know, planting that seed for our colleagues in the work that are focused in other areas to help them be able to strengthen their um, presence within the environmental movement is a really pivotal part. Mm-hmm. But you said something that that really can toss people, right? As far as just educating themselves around environmental justice. It's like, what do I need to know? I know the grass is green. I know the sky is blue. You know what I mean? I can breathe. I don't know if the air is polluting me or not, but I can breathe when I walk outside. So how do we, um, in your opinion, as a student, how do we initiate these this, these education points or how do we initiate these initiatives where people can be educated on situations about food deserts and air quality and things of that nature? Sure. Well, I or mean, just, just simply what it means to have a tree out front of your house. You know, some people don't even want to rake the leaves. So they're like, I don't want no tree. That's extra work for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like in order to interest anybody in environmental work and environmental education, and having people understand that environment is such a fluent word. Really like, big. It means so many things and it can encompass so many aspects of life. And I think that taking an individual approach and thinking, okay, what does this person in front of me care about? Do they care about economic development? Do they care about healthcare? Do they have children? Is that their concern? Mm -hmm. And I can guarantee you that there is an environmental issue that connects to something that they're passionate about. So finding that connection point, and that's why community is so important, right? Knowing your neighbors, knowing the people that you're around so you can have that leverage in the conversation to be able to say, okay, I know you have children, are you comfortable with your children playing outside and being at higher risk for asthma? Like that doesn't sound like something you would like. Here's how you can be involved in making sure that that's not the case. Or here's this thing that's coming to our neighborhood that might make it more difficult for your kids to go outside and play, you know? I definitely agree with you on that. And I wanted to actually, you know, when you think about where you are now in Boston versus when you come home to Philadelphia on your breaks, um, how how does that mindset or how does that environment shift for you in, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a major shift, especially since my school and where I live isn't in Boston proper. Excuse me, I'm in more of a suburban area. So a lot of environmental challenges that I'm used to or like that I've experienced back home, I've been removed from, thankfully, right? Like, but that doesn't mean they don't exist to me anymore. Um, coming back home and like seeing trash on the ground or like, you know, reflecting on things like 2019, there was that oil refinery that blew up. Thinking about things like that, like it constantly puts a battery in my bag to remind myself like, that's the reason to go home because so many people are aware of these things and like they're living their everyday lives, struggling to get by, not even realizing that a part of their struggle are these environmental things. I like that. And and I want to ask you that, you know, uh, in a space where you are in Boston, right? And we all know the challenges of being a black woman in Boston. So just in that specific environment, do you feel like you have to stand out? Do you feel like you have to be uh, a huge vocal piece for environmental justice because you know what it feels like growing up in a city like Philadelphia as a black woman? Oh, for sure. And I think especially 
on my campus, like my freshman year, coming into some of my introductory environmental studies courses, you know, people are talking about environmental justice issues theoretically. They're like, oh, look at these communities in California oh, or these communities in um, Central America that are experiencing environmental injustice. And I'm in the classroom like, hey, like I'm from Philly and this is what we're dealing with. Or, you know, right across the bridge in Jersey, this is what they're dealing with. And bringing that perspective into the classroom, not all the time was it met with understanding. I think that environmental justice is one of those spaces, one, because it is a BIPOC-led movement, and two, because it is a young movement. There's a lot of gaslighting that we receive as um, organizers and activists. People will say, oh, that's just a public health problem, so why make a whole new thing for it? The thing about environmental justice is it recognizes that it is it is the intersection of public health and social justice and racial justice. It's saying that these things, climate change and environmental disaster, are results of the um, capitalist and colonial structures that exist. Mm-hmm. And like black and brown bodies are being disproportionately impacted by these challenges. And like, you know, I definitely agree being in a predominantly white space and having to constantly advocate that these things are not just theory. These things are not just, you know, some old lady (laughs) being paranoid. This is real life does get exhausting sometimes, but I would rather exhaust myself doing that than anything else, to be honest. No doubt. Mazi, we got to go to a quick commercial break. Right after this quick commercial break, I would like to finish our conversation, but we got to pay some bills on the other side. But I do want to let you all know, for those who are tuning tuning in, Word Family, we got some big news. I know y'all know this already. From December 1st through December 31st, you can sign up for a membership and score 50% off anything, any store item that we have. We talking hoodies, sweaters, and Whatever you like, for real, for real, you can get it right now during this holiday season. It is our holiday gift to you. Your membership does not just mean sweet deal. It powers the Black Talk media you love. It's a win-win for us both. Don't miss out. Hit that link in the bio, wordradio.com. Grab a membership and treat yourself to 50% off anything in our store. Our way of saying thank you for being a part of the Word family. And again, happy holidays, man. Today is December 29th, man. We got about two more days left in this year 2023 keep your radios locked on wrd it's your girl poc we'll be right back after this commercial break yep 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 you already know what time it is man it's your girl poc turn your radios up spread the word spread the message each and every friday starting at 10 a.m i need you to tune into me on eco word man i appreciate everyone who's been rocking with us for like the past six months i started with the wrd family back in may of 2023 and this has been on a incredible, uh, empowering, uh, gold bucket list checklist for me, uh, being an intern at WRD and then now being a host of EcoWord, um, the EcoWord magazine. It, it's an amazing feeling. So I just thank you to everyone who's been tuning in, listening to us on Facebook, calling in to making sure they get their comments or their questions off. Um, it means a lot to us. So we want you to continue to engage with us as we continue to grow this EcoWord show, as we continue to grow the EcoWord magazine. It's important to us that you are engaging with us and participating in our our show as well, because everything we do is a full effect. It's for you and about you. So you already know, I want you to give us a call. 215-634-8065. Toll free, 1-866-361-0900. You can always join in 
on the conversation live here on WRD. It is about 24 minutes past the top of the hour. We got our special guest on the line with us as well. She was in with us on the first half. For those who just now tuned in, we got an amazing student coming out of North Philly, Mozzie, on the line, who's actually an environmental justice major. Um, and, and to me, I feel like when, when we have students who are really pushing forth for the next generation to be stronger, to stand on our backs and our shoulders, we got to make sure we put them in the light. We got to make sure their voices are heard. And that's one reason why we got Mozzie on today on WRD. Mozzie, again, good morning. Thank you for joining us on the show. Um, please reintroduce yourself for those who are just now tuning in. Sure. Hey again, everybody. My name is Mozzie, um, North Philly native, as mentioned, environmental studies major at Brandeis University. Uh, yeah, I'm a production intern for the Living on Earth podcast, one of the social media ambassadors for the People's Climate Innovation Center. And I'm currently preparing for a semester long study abroad program in Sam Marie, Cambodia. I didn't know that. I didn't know nothing about that. What is that about? What is this? What is this program about? Sure. So um, basically, the study abroad program is through the School for Field Studies. So it's a field studies program where I'll be spending the entire semester in Cambodia living and learning. The entire fall semester that's about to come up in. Yeah. Fire. Keep going. I'll be living and learning through indigenous communities, as well as some of the um, NGOs and nonprofits that are working there around issues of conservation and environmental justice. So, yeah. And I love that because when you think about environmental justice, I feel like you have to get into other environments to even talk about what it feels like to be, you know, um, in a space where your environment is not necessarily getting the just due that it deserves. You know, if you only stay in your bubble, you won't even know what it feels like to be in West Philly. You won't know what it feels like to be in Northeast. So the fact that you're going to Cambodia, that's a huge jump again, right? So are you in a space where you're traveling because you like to travel? Or are you in a space where you're traveling because you like to study the environments that you be around that part really a mix of both um but i think that most of the well actually i know that most of the travel that i've done this past year has been for educational endeavors and like you know it may be because i'm attending a conference on say gun violence but every city that i go to every place that i go i'm very observant and i like to take note of the different environmental challenges that i see Like this past year, I've had the opportunity to go to California a few times and just noticing the vast differences between East Coast and West Coast politics around environment has been really eye opening to me. Just how like on the West Coast it's very common for people to talk about and understand environmental issues or how they're very um, cognizant and appreciative of indigenous contributions to that space. As they, they should. They should be, right? <laughs> Again, because I'm the kind of person where I love taking what I learned in one space and bringing it into another, being able to come back to the East Coast and say, oh, like, this is the XYZ lands that we're on because, you know, I'm learning about those things in other places is really, really dope to me. Mm-hmm. And I also want to bring up the fact that you are, you know, producing on a podcast, too. Um, I want to make sure that people can hear more about the work that you're doing. So when it comes down to this podcast, can you give us a little description of what it's all about and how people can find it? Sure. So the Living on Earth podcast is hosted by Steve Kerwood, um, and I'm one of the production interns. So the Living on Earth podcast is one of the oldest environmental podcasts that exist. um, And it covers a range of topics from conservation to ecology, general science, and of course, environmental justice. 
Um, currently, we're on like a two week hiatus, but we'll be back in the new year. Everybody needs a break. <laughs> sure. And especially in the media world, right? Because there's yes. constant media coming in. And one thing that I really enjoy about my role is that when I was invited to come in as an intern, they were really looking for opportunities to bring in more positivity into the environmental news world. Because this work can be very depressing, like constantly yeah. reading about despair and health disparities and disparity, disparity. You see that word a lot, right? Yeah. But being able to hear the triumphs of, you know, young people working in their communities on issues that they are facing or like being able to hear success stories. Those are the kind of things that I look for and try to bring to the table. So. And then speaking of that, do you feel any pressure or do you feel any weight of making sure that the work that you're doing and when we when you're speaking to the public is factual you know what i mean like it, it's, it's being uh, a, a message that is diverse that can be spread to many com- communities and not just speaking to one one beat of, of a person facts yeah i mean fact checking in this work is so so important because like i mentioned earlier people are quick to dismiss environmental arguments right they'll say things like Oh, well, climate change is natural. Of course, it's going to get hotter. Well, no, it's not. Like, we can see these trends, whether we're looking at qualitative or quantitative data, the data is there. And being very, like, particular about the sources that you look at and, like, the way you disseminate this information is so important because, oh, sorry, because people... Yeah, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought, but so you were you were telling me a, a little bit about um, climate change and when it comes down to climate change, as far as like fact fact checking and making sure that the right. information that you're giving is not necessarily to one beat of a person, it's for everyone, right? Which is hard to do because some things just won't not when it comes to any issue, it's not a one size fit all solution or even way to communicate it. There's all types of way to do science communication. And being creative about it and thinking outside of the box is the way that I feel most effective in getting points across. So, for example, like um, one of my favorite environmental justice leaders and models is uh, Hazel M. Johnson, who is an activist in Chicago. She's actually the quote unquote mother of the environmental justice movement and something that she did for her community. She would do walking tours for Mm -hmm. people who you know, didn't live in her community who were interested in what was going on there to show people this is what environmental injustice looks like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to be creative and show people things that they won't necessarily see in their everyday life is so important. And when you have to combat, you know, uh, facts and truth and reality with the narrative that there's no such thing as climate change. There's no such thing as global warming. You know, you have our former president saying it to the entire world. You know, how do you, as someone who has so much passion and so much love about it, how do you combat these things? Common sense. And like, <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, everybody common, ain't got common sense. I hope you learned that real fast. Common. common sense ain't common for sure. <laughs> But you got to pick and choose your battles, right? Because some people, their only stake in this game is economic gain, right? So they can fully know and be aware of the facts, but will continue with misinformation and continue to be dodgy about it because they don't want the transition that's ahead. Like we are moving towards a um, reality where the green transition is no longer a question, 
of how it's a question of when and like who's going to be doing it. And, you know, we're way past the point of, is this a thing that we're going to do? Is a when are we going to do it kind of thing? So when having conversations with people who are still so far behind, I personally, I kind of, I think about it like this. Is this conversation that I'm going to have with this person, is it actually going to change their mind or are they just stuck in their ways? And if I feel like they're just stuck in their ways, I would prefer to use my time and energy to with someone who's a little bit closer to reality than that person is. <laughs> and understanding that like all is one. So that person who doesn't understand now, they may come to understanding later. And like, that's all I can wish for them. Yeah. I would encourage anyone in any activism space or sphere to waste your time arguing with people who don't want this, who don't even see you as who don't even want to respect your opinion, you know? I definitely agree. And um, I believe that global warming, in my opinion, I believe that global warming is real. I believe that climate change is happening right in front of us. We can literally see it. Um, I feel like certain people want, again, want to stay in something that just feels good to them. So they don't necessarily want to uh, talk about the effects because then that will just change their entire environment. And some people don't like change. So I definitely... Um, have some type of perspective on uh, the regimen when it comes down to people who want to keep their environment the same. And then I, I love when people want to uh, innovate their environment so they can have the next generation live in this same space as well. So it's really a bit more, you know, when we think about this concept of change, it is natural. It is within nature for things to constantly change. Mm-hmm. It becomes a problem or it becomes uh, um, you know, climate change is precedent on the rate of change. So when things are changing at a rate that is quicker than we can control for, handle, and adjust to, that's when we get concerned, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the same can be said for when we talk about changing our environment in a positive way. I think why so many communities are hesitant to things like quote-unquote community revitalization, aka gentrification, mm-hmm. Is because these changes are happening so rapidly that there's no time for community input. There's exactly. no time for historical reflection or cultural competence. So, you know, and that's what we see in Philly. And that's why a lot of pushback is being done or a lot of um, negligence in the participation and engagement space is not there because all we see is new buildings. All we see is, you know, white people moving in. All we see is grandma house being torn down. And we've seen the lots that's been lotting, you know, sit, sitting there with dumps and, I mean, with trash dumps and uh, mattresses and couches for the past 10 years. And then now we got this building on the corner. It's no longer there. It's like, wh- why is the change in how you want this, this space to look so important now that this new building is here? Before this new building, you didn't care how this block looked. Right. And again, like to my earlier point about um, community organizations that are already doing the work, you know, being proactive and understanding that their work is environmental work is so, so important when we talk about that, because like these large pots of money that the city is offering, that the federal government is offering for environmental justice initiatives is not just limited to private sector investors. Mm-hmm. But private sector investors tend to get to this money first. Eating it up, Mozzie. They're eating it up. Yeah. <laughs> because one, they're on top of it. And two, because the organizations that are, you know, these nonprofits that are competing with them, 
aren't even competing because they're focused on their, you know, key target issues. But again, realizing that if you're a nonprofit or a community organization focused on youth development or reducing gun violence, well, you're eligible for community revitalization grants because what you're doing is revitalizing the community starting from the individuals within that. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. Hopefully no, that, 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 that brings me back to something that you said, you know, earlier in our conversation of saying, even though I was invited to a panel to talk about gun violence, I'm still doing the work talking about social justice and social uh, public health. Right. So I want to start there a little bit about what you were saying. Uh, so why does that go hand in hand a little bit for you? And why does that play a uh, and why does that play a big part in what you do? Um, but we want to get to this caller before I let you answer the, the question, because I really want to know your answer on that. Um, but we got Job Bless from West Philly. Good morning. Thank you for calling in the Eco Work. Job Bless, Empress. How y'all ladies doing today? We're doing well. Thank you. Happy Friday. Okay. Give y'all the glory every time, as always. Thank you for your work. Thank you for the show. Appreciate of course, uh, Empress Mavi, how you making now? Thank you. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Okay, give John a glory every time. Glad to hear you're doing good. Pretty good. Thanks for asking, of course. And uh, thank you for your ladies' work. Of course, we uh, spread love to our brother Troy. We're more on the boards. Always doing an amazing job. We're thankful and we spread love to the entire WRD family. We're thankful for everyone truly working to make it better. Hearts with everyone suffering and going through it right now. And we're always mindful and remember everyone incarcerated, especially all incarcerated falsely, innocently, and unjustly, uh, you know, getting railroaded, free my man, free us all. And uh, we're thankful for our brother Charles Ellison, who initiated the Eagle Works segment, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, he did. You are correct. Okay, thanks. May the works continue. Ladies, I didn't mean to interrupt the conversation, but there's a question I wanted to ask you for Eagle Word for a while. If that's all right, can I ask you, please? Yes, yes. Now's the time. Once again? I said, yes, yes, now's the time. Okay, thank you so much. Not to take you off the conversation, and it don't have to be today, but can you also deal with the ecological impact of warfare? Mm. I saw a documentary talking about the pollution that comes from bombs that go off, that don't go off, et cetera, et cetera. So whenever you get a chance, can you all deal with that, please? I got you. I got you, John. No problem. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Give thanks. No doubt. Have a good one. Happy New Year to you. Thank you for calling in EcoWord. And again, if you're tuning in, you can also give us a call. We want to hear from you. Yes, you. Everything we do is a FUBU effect. 215-634-8065. Toll free, 1-866-361-0900. And Mazi, I want to give you a chance to address that just a tad bit because you said, mm, your eyebrows went up when he said that. And then I'm going to ask you the question again. Um, but what was your thoughts on around the statement that uh, John just pretty much put out there as far as warfare and how that ecologically affects environments as well. Yeah, I mean, like, to be completely honest, that's not my wheelhouse, so I can't speak Mm -hmm. to any expertise, but it is a conversation that I do see coming up a lot in environmental circles, especially with current, you know, events around the world, especially in the Middle East, shout out to Palestine. Um, Yeah, and I think, like, it also is pertinent to Philly when we think about the move bombing that happened, what was that, in the 70s, I want to say. Yeah. Oh, why you put me on blast? I should know this date. It was definitely in the 70s. It was in May, though. I know it was in May. Keep going. Though. I'm going to find this date for us. But yeah, like, I don't know if anyone has done any research or looked into the um, repercussions of that and how that had impacts on Philly residents. So yeah, I definitely think that's an interesting topic that should be covered on this podcast. And I'd be 
more than willing to help you kind of dive into that. No doubt. And the move bombing happened um 1985. I wanted to make sure I understood. I knew it was in May. I just couldn't think of the actual year. Um, but that goes back to my question, right? We're talking about um we're talking about violence in general, but that was my question talking about gun violence, how you set on a gun violence panel and how I wanted to ask you, how does that go hand in hand when we talk about environmental justice and social justice? But Monty, we got to go to another break and I hope you can stay just a little bit longer just so I can get that answer because I still want to get into this public health conversation. Is that cool with you, sis? Yeah, I got into 11, so we're good. Perfect. The show ends at 11, man. Keep your radios locked. But don't forget, we need you all to tune in on Tuesday, January the 2nd, starting at 10 a.m. for a special live broadcast for the inauguration of Mayor-elect Sherelle Parker, the first Black woman to ever be the mayor of the city of Philadelphia, the 100th mayor of Philadelphia, right? Hosted by Reality Check's Tanya Pendleton and City Council Live, Ernest Owens. This will be a historical moment for all of us here in the city of Philadelphia. This will also feature, feature the swearing and of new city council president naming of Keanu Johnson as the next city council president. So definitely tune in Tuesday, January 2nd, WRD for our live coverage starting at 10 a.m. on Word Radio, Progressive Black Talk Media. We'll be right back after the quick commercial break. Man, it's your girl POC. Keep your radios locked. Yep, 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 yep. You already know what time it is, man. It's your girl POC. Again, it's 44 minutes past the top of the hour each and every Friday starting at 10 a.m. We are tuned into Eco Word. We're talking environmental justice, bringing forth a greener, safer Philadelphia for you. Yes, you. I appreciate the caller for calling in and actually giving out topics. We want more of that energy, more things that you want to hear, more conversations that you want to be a part of. We want to hear from you. So make sure you all continue to give us a call. 215-634-8065, toll-free, 1-866-361-0900. Or you can find out more information about me, your girl, POC, at reviveisalive.com, on all social media platforms, at revive underscore POC. We just dropped a new interview as well today, this morning. So if you want to check out more exclusive interviews from me, definitely go ahead and click that link in my bio at revive underscore POC. And again, that website is reviveisalive.com. But don't forget, we want more members here on WRD. 50% off, man. It's 50% off. You got to the 31st of December to make that happen. But we got our special guest who's been rocking out with me all morning. And I appreciate you for your time, you know, joining us on WRD. Mozzie, how can they find more information about you and all the work that you're doing? How can they keep up with you in your journey? Sure. Um, so you can follow me on Instagram at Mazzie, M-A-Z-Z-I dot Aquila, A-Q-U-I-L-L-A. You can also um, add me on LinkedIn if you're more, you know, into that side of thing. <laughs> Just my first name, Mazzie Ingram. Yeah, those are the best ways to find me right now. I love it. So if you got any opportunities for this bright, young, talented student, you hear her voice, you hear what she's standing on, make sure you connect with her for sure. This is someone that I advocate for and I will continue to hype up, you know, through and through because I love the work that she's doing from what she started doing in high school to now what she's doing in college. And I wanted to go back into a comment that you made about sitting on a panel discussion talking about gun violence. And we already know, you know, the effects of violence and gun violence here in Philadelphia. So when it comes down to gun violence and environmental justice or eco-justice, and public health, please, please help us center this because some people feel like, like you said, they want to separate it and not make it uh, something new or create more scenarios where it does go hand in hand. But I truly, in my passion and, and the love that I have for it, I believe that the intersect is there. For sure. And that very intersection is one of the things that really motivated me to want to go into environmental studies as a career field and like a field to study because one of the first things that I remember, like, 
learning about in high school that really connected um, social and environmental justice for me was about urban heat islands and all of the effects that those have. So for those who aren't familiar, urban heat islands are these phenomenons that exist in places like Philly, where because there are so many, such a lack of green spaces and um, an emphasis of, or concentration of concrete and like heavy building materials, that these places, especially in the summertime, are disproportionately hotter than other places. Mm-hmm. And when places are hotter, there's increased irritation, um, increased experiences of like, like negative health impacts and things like that. But I really want to focus on this increased irritation part. Like people are just hurt. <laughs> and when I compared that to the higher rates of violence that we see in the summer, it made me think like, is there a connection here? Is there a correlation? And there is some research that makes that link between urban heat islands and increases in violence. Um, A lot of that research is centered in places like Chicago, which, you know, previously was the um, murder capital. Yeah, murder capital. That's the term I was looking for. Thanks. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so when we look at those intersections and then even when we talk about uh, gun violence prevention, um, from a youth perspective, there's a lot of diversionary efforts. Like how do we stop young people from even going down that path? And we see things like after school programs and like, um, yeah, just like youth based programs being a big part of that solution. So like I mentioned to you earlier, the WINS program was one of those programs for me that indirectly kept me out of the way. So I wasn't, um, you know, enticed to go down some of those more risky paths because I had that um, opportunity, you know, literally throughout high school every month. I'm literally out of Philly in the Poconos or in New Jersey, playing in the dirt. (laughs) It seemed like a small thing, but like, if I'm going to be very blunt, those same weekends where I was out of the way, people very close to me were in the streets doing things that, you know, unfortunately led to them no longer being with us. So when I think about just the power that environmental, not even just environmental, just the outdoors, the great outdoors, so to speak, has to be a space of healing and a space of refuge for people. I think that is something that should not be denied to black bodies. It's something that we're very deserving of and something that we need to be promoting, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that goes back down to these policies that I kind of want to address too, as, as I continue to say, I want to get into this public health conversation. You know, when we talk about eco-justice policies that are being initiated, um, how do you feel like it's actually going to help um, marginalized communities such as the the BIPOC community? Sure. So we talk about EJ policies. Again, um, something that I'm currently working on in my scholarship is making sure that environmental justice policies have concrete and tangible results that they're looking for. Because a lot of these policies, if I'm being completely honest, especially when you look at the uh, policies that are coming out of the EPA right now, it's a lot of fluff. Yeah. It says, oh, we want this, maybe this, it should look like this, coalition that. Like they use a lot of buzzwords, trigger <laughs> words, but there isn't clear pathways on how do we achieve these things and how do we measure these things so that the community is actually getting the goals that they have set um, reached. So... When I think of environmental justice policies and how to make them actually effective, I think they have to be shaped by the people doing the work. 
That's real. Completely. We real. know. We completely know that the environmental justice movement is a BIPOC-led com- movement, and it's led by BIPOC members of diverse gender spectrums and uh, racial spectrums and all these different things. So when those are the people who are shaping the policies, and when I say shaping, I mean being in coalition with the policymakers. And that requires a deep, deep repairing of trust because we know that historically policymakers and people in charge have not done a good job of um, going through with the promises that they make to Black communities and BIPOC communities. So making sure that they're building that trust and being very intentional about going in with uh, clear goals and intentions and working with the community to set those goals and intentions is really important. Mm -hmm. And I definitely agree with the statement that you made as far as tailoring it to the people who are out front, you know, really trying to shape these initiatives and these policies. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I recently had someone on who uh, is a part of a, a farming uh, initiative where he is trying to help farmers have better working conditions, right? Because we think about environmental justice, we people mm-hmm. automatically think about outside, right? And farms are a, a huge part of environmental justice and the things that people who are actually working on these farms, the conditions in which they're working are just completely just unethical, right? So having that those conversations, and we're talking about an urban city like Philadelphia, but then you can think about people who are producing the food that is being shipped to Philadelphia, who are working in hazards, <laughs> hazardous spaces, you know, all the way around. So I, I definitely agree with you on that. And I wanted to just ask this last question specifically about diversity, right? When we think about diversity and we think about the different communities that just shape up just Philadelphia, right? How does environmental justice play a role in making sure that when we talk about diversity, we are still being a part of the conversation? We are still being a part of the forefront of the conversation because black and brown people have been um, really fighting back for environmental justice for so long. And now that we have people who are moving into our communities and now speaking up about things, they're now getting results we've been fighting for for so long. I think, again, like, Going back to one of my earlier points about distinguishing the environmental justice movement from the larger environmental movement, right? Because the environmentalist movement was a predominantly white movement that focused on conservation and revitalization, honestly, from a very non-anthropogenic standpoint. And that just means not focusing on humans. So to dumb it down, it was just white people being like, oh, we care about trees. We care about animals. We care about the bees. And that's what we're fighting for. And then black people were like, um, that's cool. Love the bees. But also we can't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we like. We really, want clean water. Exactly. Like we want to be able to live and play in environments where we, we, want, we don't want lead pipes in our schools. Those kind of things. Exactly. exactly. All of those things were things that. Black people were like, or not just black people, but people of color at the very early stages of the environmental justice movement were saying, hey, these are things that matter to us in our communities. Mm -hmm. So I think when we talk about the diversification that is coming with these changes, making sure that those things are still being centered through um, uplifting, again, the people that are at the front lines of the work and being very, very open and fluid with how we find those people. Because your best environmental black or person of color environmentalist may not be working at an environmental organization. Mm -hmm. They may be 
very well working in a hospital and seeing the results of these environmental things, or they may very well be working as a teacher in a public school and seeing the results of having, you know, um, dilapidated school conditions. Being very cognizant and understanding of the historical context that the environmental justice movement is situated in is a very powerful and like central tool to change because the history leaves us in a present state where so much of the movement is disjointed. So many people are environmentalists at heart, but the work that they're doing every day has a different title. Mm-hmm. So we keep pulling those people in, you know. Key point, man. Key point. Mazi, I appreciate you rocking out with me all morning here on Eco Word. Um, thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the, the studying that you're doing and the learning that you're doing and pushing out that knowledge for the next generation. Um, I'm sending you many blessings uh, as you go to Cambodia. When do you leave? I leave on the 28th of January. So. That is incredible. And you come back, I'm guessing, like April, May? Yeah, May. Oh, man, man. I'm wishing you so many <laughs> blessings. And, and I truly am uh, just I can't even imagine what this uh, endeavor is about to bring forth on the journey of just where you are about to go. So congratulations to you. Thank you for choosing oh. you. You know, thank you for putting yourself first and knowing that you are, you know, pivotal and, and a huge change that we need. So I thank you so much for the work you're doing. I want you again to give your LinkedIn for the people who are listening so they can tap in with you for sure and your social media if you want to. For sure. Again, my Instagram is mazi, M-A-Z-Z-I dot Aquila, A-Q-U-I-L-L-A. And my LinkedIn is just my first and last name, Mazi Ingram. You can find me on both platforms. Um, If you want to keep up with my study abroad journey, Instagram will probably be the best place to do that. I'll also have some of my cash apps and things like that. Like that part, that part, drop that cash app for the students so she can definitely make sure she has a great trip as she's studying abroad and she's doing it for the city of Philadelphia. So if you listen, make sure you support this student. Molly, I thank you so much and I'm looking forward to more great and amazing things that you're going to do in the future. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Thank you for your continued mentorship and just all the love that you pour into me constantly. So thanks. No doubt, man. We locked in. Happy New Year to you. Thank you, you too. No doubt, man. You already know what time it is. We got to go. This is our last, we got to go with a bang, man. This was our last show for 2023. Thank you for everyone again who rocked out with me thus far as me being the new host of Equal Word. We'll be back next week, man. It's the first week of 2024. I'm introducing a new fact from the PA Lottery. Every first of the month, you already know we got this new Equal Word fact that we dropped from the PA Lottery. So definitely stay locked with that, man. It's your girl, POC. Much love. Just know I love you, man. I'll be back next week, next Friday. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.